Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrads.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. We can, uh, we can tell we're kind of getting back into the swing of things because every week the announcements get a little bit longer. Um, so next week we're just playing all announcements for the entire service just to tell you what's going on. No. Uh, anyway, if you're visiting with us, it's first time checking us out. Thanks for being here. We're glad that you decided to join us in person. Want to greet everybody online. We actually still have more people watching online than in person, if you can believe it. Um, and so if you just want to go ahead and shame them, that's fine. I have no problem with that. Shame, shame. No, uh, but we would love to have you back if you uh, are watching online. Um, so we have been in this series for... This This is actually week number five. This is our last week of a series called Live Differently. Been a really interesting series. Um, I've had a fun time being able to study and try to work through some of these issues, and we've gotten a ton of feedback, and so it's stuff that you guys are thinking about as well. And uh, if you haven't been here, what I'm going to do is I want to do a little recap of where we have been the last five weeks. And so um, the the whole idea behind this series is we're trying to answer the question, how do we live as Christians in a culture in which we may not agree with? And generally, there's about, well, the big answer is we live differently. But there's been four different approaches historically that Christians have tried to do this. And so we've gone through each one of these four ways. And so the first one was, well, we just simply retreat from culture. And the idea behind this is culture is a mess. It's going to hell in a handbasket, and there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe there was a time that you could fight this culture war, but the culture war has been lost. And so you must retreat from culture. And there's different uh, kind of different levels of this. I'll talk about that. But you must retreat from culture, pull back in order to preserve your faith and pass it on to the next generation. And then maybe once the dust settles, we can get back out into the public sphere and we can have a voice once again. And so um, there's different ways to do this, uh, and we talked about some books that advocate for this. And so it could be anything from something simple, which may not even be that simple, which is I'm getting rid of my TVs in my house. That's how I'm going to retreat. I'm not going to allow culture to infiltrate my my house. Or I'm going to cancel my Netflix subscription. Or maybe... I've heard this a lot. I'm going to move out of state because we know that other states are Christians. (laughs) California, not Christians or something. I don't know how that works, but um, some of you guys are feeling a little (laughs) bugged by that comment. Good. That's great. I'm going to bug everyone by the end of the day today, so uh, take a number. All right. Um, <laughs> or maybe, uh, maybe it's something like, you know, public schools, I just don't feel comfortable, and so I'm going to pull my kid out of public school. So there's lots of different kinds of retreat. And we talked about the benefits of retreat. And we look to the scriptures, we see Jesus, before he began his ministry, he did 40 days of retreat in the wilderness, where he uh, prayed and he fasted. We see Paul, right before he begins his ministry, he takes a couple years and retreats. And so there's a lot of good in retreating. And I think that it's probably a part of the Christian life is to strategically retreat for different reasons in different seasons. It may be uh, we need to retreat because we need to be uh, we need to be connected again relationally, or refilled spiritually, or emotionally, or mentally, or whatever it might be. There might be legitimate reasons to retreat, and so we kind of talked about what those reasons are. But here's the problem: the problem is is when retreat becomes our primary posture to the world. 
Because we are called as Christians to be in the world that Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven is here's what your goal is. Here's what your job is, is you need to go out and you need to make disciples. You have to be in the world. And so that can't be the ultimate answer, at least the, the one size fits all answer. And so are there times, strategic times of retreat? Most definitely. But can this be our main posture? I don't think so. So then the next week we talked about something that's like on the opposite end of the spectrum. So this person says, you know what, retreat, not, that's not what's going to fix things. Yes, culture is a mess and it's just a disaster. And what we're going to do is we're going to fight even harder in this culture war. And so what they do is they engage in either the uh, political or cultural uh, uh, kind of war that's, that's been taking place. And so they think that the solution is, if we are going to do what we are called, which is to be salt and light, we not only need to preserve, but we need to fight back against the evils and the un- injustice and the, 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 um, just the, the things that would go against the gospel. We need, to, we need to push back against those things. And so what we do is we began to fight. Now, this last, uh, eh, let's call it year and a half, this has been like, the, whatever political side, whatever belief you are, this is like the dominant view of culture right now. We're just going to fight. Like, everybody likes to fight right now. Everybody's ready to fight right now. SNL did a parody skit last weekend. And this is how you know that we're, we're just down to fight. Is, um, it was a parody of a school board meeting. I don't know if you know this, but there is like a whole subgenre on YouTube of school board meetings <clears throat> that you can watch now. Fascinating. So good. I mean, it's like a guilty pleasure good, but you're just like, yes. Yo, how do you even know their mom? I can't believe you called them that. You know, like it's crazy. It just, they are, they're ready to fight. And I'm not, I'm not saying that school board meetings and city meetings and all the, that, that these are not legitimate ways in which we can have discussion. I think we should, but man, they've been getting kind of ugly lately. It's because everybody's just ready to fight. It's like we came out of quarantine and we're like, all right, who wants to go? Let's do this. I've been locked down for like a year and a half. Let's go. <laughs> the problem is, is and, and by the way, there's a lot of positives to this from a Christian perspective, not that kind of fighting, but um, that we should be a resistance to culture. Of course, personally, we need to resist the pull of culture when it conflicts with our faith, but we also need to stand up for the voiceless. I think about issues like standing for the unborn or for human trafficking, these are things that we should, and, and we, I think, as Christians, are mandated to resist. But the problem is, is, again, when resistance becomes our primary posture to culture, what we end up doing is we end up, instead of fighting for people, we end up fighting with people. See, the whole purpose of, of resisting is for the benefit of others, it's because we believe that there's a better way forward, that God has something better in mind for me and for you and for all of our culture. And so the reason why we fight is because we think there is something better. And so we, we oftentimes move from trying to win people to win arguments. And when this happens and people become the, the primary target of our resistance, we end up demonizing the very people whom we are supposed to love. And so, yes, there are times and places to resist. Most definitely. And should we be involved politically? Yes, for sure. But should this be uh, the primary way in which we relate to the world around us? I don't think so. Because Jesus seemed to think that people were the point. And so we have to remember that people are the point. 
Last week we talked about being relevant to culture. And so this view is a little bit different than the first two because this view looks at culture and says, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of messy parts about culture. Everybody knows that. But there's a lot of good in culture as well. Is they have this theological concept called common grace. Common grace is the belief that um, God works through humanity in order to bring about a common good and flourishing. And so you can see this in art and music and entertainment and all different aspects of cultures. God is working through people who believe and don't believe in him to bring about human flourishing. It's just a good gift he gives us. So I think about uh, my favorite foods. One of my favorite places to eat is this Indian restaurant. I've been going there for like 20 years. And uh, we go into this Indian restaurant, and we know the, 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 all the people who work there, the managers, and we try to dialogue with them and find out about their families. And a lot of them live back either in India or Nepal. And here's what I've never done when I've eaten at this restaurant. I've never ordered chicken tikka masala, my jam, and garlic naan, and taken a bite and said, a Christian created this. <laughs> oh, for sure. This is so good. There's no way a Hindu can make something this good. I've never said that before. I've never even thought of it before. You know why? Because I understand that God can work through people who believe in him, don't believe in him, have a you know, different conception of it, that God works through uh, humanity in order to bring about this flourishing. And so this view says, let's look at culture, and culture is a really good thing, or at least it can be. And so let's take all of the good things and embrace them, enjoy them, affirm them. The fruits of culture are God's good gifts to us. And then maybe we can even use them in order to point people towards Jesus. And so they would, they would say something like, we must be relevant to culture if we want to be heard in culture. To some degree, if we want to communicate to the people around us uh, matters of faith, we need to live like them, we need to look like them, talk like them, act like them in order for them to be open to our message. And at first you might be like, wait, well just think about this. Think about a missionary who goes to a foreign land, one that they're not familiar with. You know what they're going to spend their first year, two years, five years doing? Trying to understand the culture. What is the language? What are the traditions? What are their beliefs and values? How can I bring this message that I have for them and contextualize it, put it within their culture? And so I think all Christians are, are supposed to do this. And if you've ever met a religious person who um, doesn't know how to do this, you'll realize how important it is. Like, and maybe you haven't encountered this person before, but they know that Jesus is the answer, and Jesus comes up in like every conversation all the time, no matter what you're talking about. And you kind of realize this person has, one, no idea what questions people are asking in the world today, what the underlying assumptions and beliefs are. They even, they seem to use these strange terms, things that I don't understand. Like they want to talk about eschatology. Are you pre or post-trib? And you're like, are we talking Lord of the Rings? What are you, what is this? What is, some of you guys don't even, you've never even heard those words before, right? Look them up. And it's because um, unless we understand the culture in which we live, we're, we're probably not going to be very successful at communicating to them the gospel message. Now, here's what I think, and this is probably true of the average Christian, and it's probably true of our church, is this is not, uh, the, this is not a danger for us, is being relevant to the culture. We're pretty good at it. The problem is we end up reflecting culture more than just being relevant to it, is the pull of culture is so strong and enticing that we end up oftentimes reflecting the values and beliefs and lifestyles of the world around us. There's not a whole lot different between the people 
inside the church and outside the church. There's an Instagram account. It's called uh, Preachers and Sneakers. Great, great. It's, I mean, it's, <laughs> so what it is, is, and I kind of, I'll pick on pastors. Uh, we're an easy target. Is these pastors trying to be relevant to the culture, but they're trying way too hard. Like their, their outfits are like Gucci and Prada, and they've got like, I mean, they've got the Yeezys. They, they're just, it's outrageous. And then next to it says prices of everything. And these outfits cost more than my car. And you look at these and you go, okay, you've crossed the line here. You went from trying to be relevant to, to just simply reflecting the culture. So there's a, a, a famous Christian musician who came out recently and he said, what we, what we need to do to combat this is start a campaign. And the campaign is going to be make pastors uncool again. Yeah, my, they used my dad as the poster for it. It was crazy. I was like, that's rude. I didn't even ask him, you know. <laughs> He's not even here to defend himself. That's all right. Anyway, that was a cheap shot, but worth it. Um, <laughs> so when we think about being relevant to the culture, um, yes, we should affirm all of the good things about the culture that we live in. And we should embrace those things. We should use those things. But we should also be careful because we can very, we can, we can, it becomes a temptation to embrace the culture so much that we end up rejecting Christ is there will be a time in which culture is going to come into conflict with your beliefs. And in that moment, you're going to have to decide, do I want to continue to try to be relevant at all costs, or am I going to have to choose my faith? And then people on the outside are going to look at me and go, oh, how naive, how intolerant, what a bigot. Eventually, those two are going to come into conflict, and you're going to have to choose Christ or culture. Now, the last one, and the one that we haven't talked about yet, and I want to kind of spend a little bit of time on today, is renew or renew the culture. And the main idea behind this is all of those other views and all those other ways to relate to culture are all about um, a reaction to what's happening in the world. But this view says, what if we're not just reacting to, what if we're contributing to culture? What if we have something to add to the world around us? Most notable advocate of this is uh, James Davison Hunter. He's a sociologist from the University of Virginia, wrote a book called To Change the World, academic book, very difficult to understand. But it was one of those that was kind of a game changer for Christian thought. And here's what he says. He says, yeah, 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 culture is good and it's bad. It's a good gift that God has given us, and when used correctly, it's a way that he, he, gives, us, um, he gives us great gifts. But we can also use it incorrectly. And when this happens, it becomes pretty destructive, he says, he, but here's where his view kind of differs from everybody else. He says, what we think about, um, about shaping culture is we have like this fundamental misunderstanding of how culture is shaped. See, what you and I think is, we think that if we will go out there and we will begin to change people's hearts and minds and come to our side of whatever the issue is, and the more people that do that, when we have enough people, then culture will change, kind of like democracy is if you have enough people heading in the same direction, believing in the same things, then the culture at large is going to change. There's like this tipping point. But he says that's not how culture is shaped at all. See, that's like a bottom-up approach. But we're naive to think that that's how it works. What it really is, it's a top-down approach. He says if you look at any kind of cultural shifts, it's never this mass movement of people. It's always a select group of people in positions of power and influence. So what he says is, he says, 
Well, think about this. You have these major, um, like, cultural institutions and centers. So you think of things like uh, academics and entertainment and media and business. He says, within those institutions are people somewhere near the top. We'll call them the elite. This is sounding a little conspiratorial. It's not, okay? We're not going there. Um, He says, and within those are the elites. And what happens is when the elites create these networks where they come together and they have a view or they have a, a cause that they're fighting for, they will use their political power and their cultural influence in order to leverage the conversation, move the conversation forward. He says, this is how culture is actually shaped. It's through the right people in the right places coming together and pushing it forward. He said, and this is the example he uses. He says, well, think about this. Whether you agree with this or not, it's not the point of the discussion today. He says, think about the, the conversation on gender and sexuality in the last 10 years. A majority of people all believe the same thing. I mean, there, there was votes. There was laws that were proposed, and everybody believed this direction is true. But all of a sudden, we have gone the opposite direction. Is it because everybody changed their mind all of a sudden? No. He says it's because there's a small group of people in places of influence who have come together, and they've pushed this new narrative forward. He says that's how you can get people who radically change their belief on some fundamental things like gender and sexuality, and younger people can't even imagine why you would think differently. So this is how culture really is shaped, is by these people in specific places of, uh, of, of power and, and influence. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, if that's how we shape culture, then we got to get people into those places, right? Those places of influence, so that we can be a voice in culture. And he says, no, uh-uh, it's not the solution. He says, your job is not to change the world. Listen to this, here's a quote. He says, it is essential, in my view, to abandon altogether talk of redeeming the culture, advancing the kingdom, building the kingdom, transforming the world, reclaiming culture, reforming the culture, and changing the world. He says, all of these imply conquest and takeover and dominion, a pursuit of power. He says, you don't want to do what it takes to get to those places. As a Christian, that's not what you're called to do. What you're called to do is not pursue power, but to be a person who comes and serves. This is exactly what Jesus came to do. And so our job is not to change the world, according to him. Our job is simply to announce that Jesus has come, salvation is here, and a better world is on its way. And here's how he says that we should do this. He says, don't aim to change the world, just aim to renew it. And here's the phrase he uses. He says, oh, excuse me, let me give you a little background real quick. He says this, renewal is really um, just it's just bringing it back to what God intended. So if you know that kind of the fourfold gospel, you have creation. In Genesis, God makes the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and it is good. And then he says, you and I, we get to, we get to partner with him, and we get to cultivate. We get to have, create culture. And he says, the creation is good, and the cultivation, the culture is good. So in the very beginning, it's good. But then very quickly things go off the rails and we see this fall. And we're now disconnected from, um, uh, from God and from one another and things start to go bad. Not just creation starts to decay, but culture starts to decay as well. Jesus comes and he says, I've come to redeem what has been broken. I'll begin with our relationship that you can have salvation. You can be reconnected with your creator. 
And one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to renew all of creation. And so your job is to partner with me in that renewal. And one day I will come and I will finish it. And so he says, our job is not to try to change the world. It's simply to be a partner with God in this process of renewal. And he says, we do this by being a faithful presence within. His idea is you go into different parts of of society and you embed yourself in it in order to work from the inside out to renew those different parts of of culture. He says faithful means living differently. You're faithful in your character and your beliefs and your actions and motivations and all of those should reflect Christ and you're faithful to whatever God has called you to in that given moment. So there's a joke that we've been... uh, I don't know if it's a joke. It's like an inside joke between me and, and some of my uh, family. Whenever we go somewhere, and it doesn't matter what industry these people work in. It's probably true of church as well. Everybody's operating at about a C minus right now. Right? And I'm, I'm not sure if it's intentional, maybe because they're understaffed, maybe because they just simply don't want to be there. I don't know what the motivation is or lack of, but everybody seems to be just about a C minus right now. And they're angry about it. And so we just laugh. We just go, man, the whole world is just, just not excelling at anything. Like, we're just not happy people. And then we, we complain about it, and we're like, yeah, that's right. They are losers. You know, no, we don't do that. Um, <laughs> kidding. I think what being faithful means is not just faithful theologically or in our morality. I think being faithful means that we're taking the opportunities that God has given us and we're being good stewards of them, meaning we're, we're, we work hard and we pursue excellence. And here's what Paul says. He says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. What he says is he says, one of the ways that you can be faithful in the world is just doing a good job. Whatever it is, whether it's big or small. And maybe one day God will reward you and give you more because you've been a good steward with what you've gotten. Maybe people around you will look at you and go, why are you so happy about being at this dead-end job? And you go, because I'm working for the Lord, baby. (laughs) I think that... um, I think that's probably one of our greatest opportunities right now. As if, as if the rest of the world is angry and working at about a C minus, we show up and we just go, I'm happy to be here. How can I serve today? I'm working for the Lord. Some of you guys are thinking, the Lord better pay them bills. Um, <laughs> faithful, and he says presence. He says, um, we can't retreat from, from the world. Nor can we power up and try to dominate it. What we need to do is we need to humbly engage with the world around us. Is we need to use our gifts and our talents and our resources to make the world a better place simply because we're there. And then finally, within. He says, instead of creating these alternate ecosystems and Christian subcultures, we should really go and embed ourselves within the different aspects of culture And we are renewing them from the inside out. And a part of that renewal is affirming the goodness of what's happening there. Man, modern medicine, so good. I'm having technology, so good. We affirm the goodness of those things. And then we also push back and say, hey, I don't think we want to go that direction. I don't think this is what's best for everybody. I think that there's a better way forward. 
A part of us renewing it from the inside out is affirming what is good and pushing back on what we think is going to uh, halt human, human flourishing. He says, all this needs to be motivated not by selfish ambition and the pursuit of power or even cultural influence. It's motivated by two simple things. Every day, the way that we judge if we've had a successful day or not is, did I love God and did I love my neighbor? Whatever the results might be, whatever may happen, whether the world changes or not, the win for me is, have I loved God and loved my neighbor? He says, and maybe as a faithful presence within and you do this well, you'll, you'll have some power. You'll have some influence. And maybe you can use that in order to persuade people. He says, maybe not. Doesn't matter, because that's not the win. The win is not to change the world. That's God's job. The win for you is to be a faithful presence within it. So there's a book of the Bible. You probably, uh, most of us have skipped over it. It's a small book of the Bible, and it's called Philemon. And it's a letter that Paul writes to Philemon, and it's delivered by a slave named Onesimus. And this letter, it's very strange if you read through it. You may even be a little bit confused because Onesimus is a slave, and Philemon is his owner. And he's delivering this letter from Paul because he has run away, and Paul has asked him to return to his slave owner. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Because, like, you know, slavery was not a good thing. It's different than the slavery you and I are thinking of. This is more of being an indentured servant where you could sell yourself in for, uh, uh, to slavery for a period of time to work off some debts or things like that. But it's not, it's not something you want to sign up for necessarily. It's not a good thing. And here's what Paul says in the letter. He says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I do not want anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord." So he sends this letter back to him and says, will you please accept your slave back? But not as a slave, as a brother in Christ, because you're a believer, I'm a believer, he's a believer, and so we should see each other first and foremost as that. And you would, the, the first question that you probably ask is, well, wait a minute, Paul, why would you send him back at all? Like you're sending him back, why not just free him? You know that slavery is wrong. In fact, you talk about it all the time. In your letters, you talk about the dignity and worth of slaves and, and how they are the same in God's eyes as you are. And how those who own slaves, that they should treat them with dignity and respect. And we know that you know that they're equal. Why would you not do something about this? Why not just write a whole letter explaining why the institution of slavery is wrong? Which, by the way, Christians later would do. But Paul doesn't in this moment. See, we have to understand the, the context a little bit. You know, slavery was a powerful institution within the Greco-Roman world. And Paul was actually pretty wise because what he knew in this moment was, I'm not going to be able to change this issue in this moment. I'm not going to be able to turn the whole Greco-Roman world upside down. So here's what I am going to do. I am be going to begin to change it radically from the inside out. What I'm going to do is, yes, I want, the ultimate goal is I want to eliminate slavery. But 
that's not going to happen overnight. I'm not in a position in which I can make that happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to begin to change how we see slaves and slave owners. And we're going to begin to see them not as subhuman or, or secondary citizen. We're going to see them as children of God. And what began to happen is as he changed how people thought about slaves, eventually they came to realize, oh, these people are just the same as we are. Therefore, slavery is wrong. See, what Paul does is he says, I'm not in the position to turn the world upside down right now. But what I can do is I can be a faithful presence within this moment right here. And so he begins to change the culture from the inside out. So here's kind of my takeaway is, uh, you know, I think we all can point out what's wrong with the world, and, and we can all, you know, complain about it, and, and it almost feels like, gosh, is there anything that we can do? Because I, I don't think I'm going to be able to change the world, and you're probably not going to be able to either. In fact, I can't even change my own eating habits most of the time, let alone change the world. And so, do I just give up? Do I retreat? Or should we continue the fight? Or should we just try to stay relevant too? And I think that at the end of this five weeks, I've come to realize that all of those are legitimate answers in the right place in the right time. Like all of those are, are, are needed and necessary and all of those can be harmful if you, if you practice them at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so maybe the answer, or at least part of the answer is, my job is not to try to change the world. It's just to renew the world by being faithful presence within it in that moment. Being a faithful presence at work and in my family, in my neighborhood, in my relationships, whatever moments that God puts in front of me, maybe I'm just supposed to be just, just faithful in that moment. Maybe that's what the win really is. And it doesn't have to be big things. It could be anything. You're probably going to go to lunch after this, or you're going to go and pick a pumpkin, and then somebody's going to get the one that you wanted, and then you're going to want to go kick it, and then it's going to be a whole thing, and, and then security comes and throws you on the ground, and it goes on, t- you know, viral, and I don't know, that'd be cool. But anyway, um, <laughs> totally not the point. Totally not the point. What if your job is just to go, how am I being a faithful presence within this moment? as I'm fighting traffic, or as I'm having a conversation with a waitress, or as I'm hearing one of my friends, you know, talk about what's going on in their life, maybe my job is not to just go out and try to fix all the problems, it's just to be a faithful presence within this moment. I was at lunch with a friend this week. We highlighted his story a while back. Uh, he, um, he takes in kids who are in, the, um, who are in short-term foster care, it's called Safe Families, and highlight a story about a, a boy that he has taken in, and and um, been able to help kind of influence and, and, and partner with his mom in order to uh, create a, a safer environment for him. And eventually the kid went home, but then they kept getting phone calls that there's some issues at home, and so the kid needed to come back, and they were happy to welcome back. And, and this process ever since then has just been going back and forth, back and forth. And he said, man, I'm just so frustrated right now. Like, we love this kid, but we just don't know what are we doing here. Like, why are we doing this? I'm driving back and forth, back and forth, pick up, drop off. Are you staying there? Are you staying here? He can just come live with us. We're fine with that. But it's just a mess right now. I don't understand what we're doing. I said, you know, it's funny you say that because I kind of read this book this week, and I'm going to talk about it this weekend, and there's this phrase. It's to be a faithful presence within this moment. And so maybe you don't get to determine how this all ends. Maybe you, you don't know what the plan is and what the next steps are going to be. Maybe your job is simply to say, all right, how can I be a faithful presence within this moment? Is it picking him up? 
taking them to practice, letting them sleep over tonight, taking them back home. Okay, then I'm going to be a faithful presence within this moment that God has placed in front of me, even when it doesn't make sense, even when I can't figure out what the plan is. And so here's kind of the the thread, I think, that goes through this whole series, is we're going to have to navigate wisely these different circumstances and situations of how we should interact with the culture around us. But the common thread is this. I have to simply keep being faithful. If I can just keep showing up and keep being faithful, I believe that God is going to give me those next steps. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, this last five weeks. And as we have wrestled through some really um, challenging concepts and questions, but um, ones that I think all of us are asking right now. Um, Lord, you have given us guidance. It's not easy. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer. It's going to take wisdom, and it's going to ultimately take reliance upon you to guide us. And yet, Lord, you have given us a place that we can do that together as a community. And so help us to not just do what we feel is best or what we think is going to bring about uh, comfort in our own lives, but something that really is going to lead to flourishing, not just of ourselves, but of the world around us. And Lord, through this process, no matter what we do decide, my prayer is that we would be faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys stand with me. Thank you guys so much for for being here, being a part of this series. Um, We have a pumpkin patch over there. We have a party. And Denise said um, to remind you that they are for sale and the proceeds go to our trunk or treat stuff. All right, so we'll see you guys over there. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time. 